Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Hey, we've got a great speaker today, and and we've got a great speaker next week. But we've got a great speaker today, and we thank God for the team that God has given us. We do it together on team, and we are gifted here as a church with many, many good speakers. And so today, we have Sarah Hewitson, who's going to be coming and speaking about the last 24 hours of Jesus. So would you put your hands together, make some serious noise, and welcome... Sarah Hewitton. Hello, good morning. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to see all these beautiful faces. Good morning, everybody online. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you're joining us later, it's great to see you too. And if it's evening time because this is live somewhere else, then have a great sleep after this. Um, Try to be inclusive, guys. Um, Before we carry on, can I just say that I honestly feel like worship has this completely set this day up to win. That was an incredible, incredible time of worship. Thank you so much to the band and to our worship team as they honor God and prepare well. It just makes those of us who are then speaking feel like we can't, we can only, it's a great platform. It's very exciting. I wanna share with you, as Steve said, we're gonna be talking about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life today. And I think that a lot can happen in a 24-hour period. So before we get to this exceptional piece of scripture, I wanna tell you a story about a 24-hour period that changed my life. It was 2019, remember 2019? And um, I was gonna go to Australia in September, so my main concerns with regard to travel was money. And that was pretty much it, which is different now, right? (laughs) And um, so it's the end of summer, and I wanna do something fun, but I don't have a lot of leave left, I don't have a lot of money, so I need to stay local, need to make sure it's cheap, and preferably on a day off. Now, I'm from South Africa, and I have lived, by this point, in the UK for about six years, but I haven't seen much of the north or the south of the United Kingdom. So I decided that I wanted to go on a 24-hour road trip to Cornwall. (laughs) Yes, that is the response that I received from my friends when I asked for advice on this matter, followed by, don't do that, that's a bad idea. Why would you do that? Especially because I was gonna do it on the bank holiday weekend in August. (laughs) See where I'm going with this. But I saw that advice, and rather than seeing it like a deterrent, I saw it more like a challenge. And so I convinced a few friends, most of which who were also not English, to come with me on this trip. And so from Sunday, 8 p.m. through to Tuesday, 1 a.m., which is technically 29 hours, but for the romance of the story, we'll just pretend it's 24. we accomplished the following. We swam in the sea at Port Kono, we went to Land's End and Penzance, we climbed a cliff, we ate a lot of ice cream, we ate fish and chips, we ate a Cornish pasty, obviously, we drank copious amounts of caffeine, I didn't drive once, and I managed to see Stonehenge and the Big Dipper, which I had never seen before, all in 29 hours. Thank you. I know, it was a lot. 
I felt like saying I told you so to every person I came across afterwards. And it was sunny, which is like, it never happens on the bank holiday weekend in August. So I felt like God was really in that <laughs> moment for me. <laughs> it was a really, really special 24 hours. And it's a 24 hour trip that I will never, ever forget. But what was actually most important for me in that day wasn't the epic fun that we had, the strong debates on whether or not Harry Potter is actually a good guy or a bad guy. Um, don't talk to me about that right now, it stresses me out. Um, and all, all of the different things that I had never seen before. The most important moment for me on that day was actually a 30 minute period that I got about halfway through the trip. My friends had gone off exploring and I was sitting on a hill overlooking the ocean and kind of the end of the country, as it were. And I had this time with God and myself and my journal. And I had had a bit of a rough year in some respects. I was dealing with some unforgiveness and a bit of hurt and, and it had become a barrier between me and God. And I was busy, I worked for the church, had a lot going on, but I felt like my personal time had suffered. And it was a weight that I couldn't shift on my own. And so I had this moment where it was me looking out into the ocean and it was this massive expanse and I, I felt quite small in relation to all of creation. And God met me there. And he started a work in me. And when I came home to Cambridge 24 hours after I had left, I felt lighter. I felt like something had shifted within me. And this was a work that God then completed when I was in Australia a couple of months later. Very similar situation in a beach and ocean. And, um, and that, you know, creation just kind of has that way with me at times. I feel like it is a very, very intimate time with God when you look at all of that that he has made. And so as much as I loved every aspect of this trip, I had no idea that the work that God started in me in that moment on that day was actually preparing me for something else. And that would turn out to be the hardest season of my life to date, not four months later. But at the time, it was a great, amazing trip that I had attempted to do and was grateful that it happened and I didn't realize the significance of that 24 hours. And so I wonder if we underestimate the value of a 24 hour period. But you know, the Bible talks to us all through scripture about the importance of a day. The day is a metaphor that God loves to use when he's connecting with us, all the way from Genesis when he creates. In the Psalms, it says things like, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It says, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart full of wisdom. In 2 Peter, it says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. A day matters to God. Every day of your life matters to God. So as we enter this time, and thank you, Steve, for setting us up with Palm Sunday and giving us some context because we are leading to Easter. And if you've had any experience in church, you know that there are a number of traditional things that happen over the next week. So if you wanna come with me, we're gonna look at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And you can find it, if you go on version, I've put extensive verses there because this story happens in all four gospels. It's kind of the pinnacle um, of the gospel, spoiler alert. Um, and, but we're gonna sit in Matthew chapter 26 and 27 for the most part. 
I really, really encourage you to read these scriptures deeply over the next week. Spend time in this time because what you are reading, Jesus was experiencing. And what's amazing about Easter is that it's, it's true to time. So this, this context of this story that we're going into is around Passover, which is a huge celebration in Jerusalem um, in, in, for all Jews. It's a big religious holiday in the Jewish calendar. It references the story in Exodus where Moses was kind of grappling for the freedom of the slaves, um, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, and it was the final curse that God ultimately put over the Egyptians, that the firstborn of all the Egyptians died. But because of the lamb's blood that was on the Hebrew doors, the angel of death passed over them and they were given mercy from God. And that moment of mercy, that moment of grace, is what they celebrate year in and year out, even to this day. And so Jerusalem, being the hub of kind of the, um, the country, really, in terms of like the capital, um, became the place that people pilgrimed to for this holiday. So it was busy. And not unlike my many friends who told me to, to not to go to Cornwall, many people told Jesus not to go to Jerusalem, especially during Passover. Because by this point, right, Jesus has made a name for himself and the religious leaders, they don't like him very much. They don't think that he is helpful to the cause. He is healing people on a Sabbath. He is having dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. He is not their friend. And all of his friends are like, keep a low profile, man. Just let's get over this one and then we can, you know, make you the king and whatever. But Jesus, like me, knew what he was doing, <laughs> you know, slightly holier than I was at the time. <laughs> and he knew that where he needed to be at that day, at that time, was Jerusalem. So we find ourselves in Matthew 26, verse 20. And what I'm gonna do is give you like a whistle-stop tour because a lot goes down in this day. And I don't want you to miss any of it, but I also don't wanna keep you here all day. Well, I do, but I won't. Um, and so we're gonna start in 26 where we're at the Last Supper. So Jesus is already here. Everybody's already got used to the fact that he's in Jerusalem. Everybody knows he's there. That's important. And here are some things that are important about that meal. First of all, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. He's got silver in his pocket and he is sitting at the table with Jesus, really aware that he is about to betray this guy looks him in the eye and says, it's not gonna be me, I'm not that guy. Because Jesus says, one of you will betray me tonight. Imagine the nerve of sitting with Jesus and lying to his face, being justified in how you feel, the bitterness that he must have been carrying to pull that off. He leaves early, not exactly a sign of innocence, uh, and that is followed by the, what we experience as now, now as communion. So Jesus takes the, water, the, the wine and the bread and he lays it out as the significance of his body and his blood. And we know because in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, and on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, that this is all happening at the same time. Okay, it's a busy 24 hours. This is also the meal where Jesus says, you know, you're all, you're all going to kind of abandon me at some point, and Peter, bless him, is like, not me. I'm with you to the end. I'll die for you. You and I are in this together. And then Jesus says three times, you'll deny me. Before the rooster crows, before the start of the next day, you will deny me three times. 
which for Peter, who is known for being arrogant and sure of himself, is like, <laughs> Jesus is wrong, which is something we all know happened regularly. Um, that's a lie, that's not true, I was kidding. So after dinner, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and there's this repetitive moment where Jesus tells the disciples to stay awake and be vigilant so that he can go and pray, because he knows stuff is gonna go down and he needs to be prepared, and they keep falling asleep. And he goes into this moment with God, with his Father, and he begs for an opportunity to be released from this responsibility, but he will also be obedient and do what God says, and so he goes and prepares himself for death. He returns to his disciples who are sleeping again and Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss. And everybody freaks out. Peter slices the ear off of somebody. Jesus heals it. Everyone is in like pandemonium. The disciples run away and Jesus is taken in the middle of the night to the Sanhedrin, to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. False prophets, uh, false prophets, pro false testimonies are put against him. People say he did things he didn't do. And through the whole trial, Jesus remains silent. Until eventually, Caiaphas gets so frustrated at Jesus not defending himself that he says, I adjure you by the living God. Please just, just say something about these claims. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? This is Caiaphas's moment for Jesus to say, no, I'm just kidding, to let him off. But Jesus doesn't. He says, as you say. He says, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. This is not good, okay? For anybody that is not the Son of God, this is literally the worst thing that you could say at the Sanhedrin. And again, everyone freaks out. And in the meantime, Peter is sitting outside the temple gates trying to hear what's going on. And three times people ask him if he's that guy that they saw with Jesus that one time. And three times he says no. And I can imagine that when those rooster crowed, he must have felt such a deep sense of remorse, of guilt and shame, as he realized he had fulfilled the exact thing that Jesus had said to him hours before. So then things get a bit political. We go from the Sanhedrin, again, in the middle of the night, through to um, Pilate, who's the Roman governor. Now, Pilate doesn't actually wanna get involved in Jewish issues. He's like, as far as Rome is concerned, this guy's just maybe crazy, so we don't really wanna try, try him with anything, so take him to Herod. Herod's the king of the Jews. Herod can deal with it. Herod is more political than he is religious, so he's not upset about the blaspheme. He just doesn't like the idea of another king. But he still is like, technically, has he done anything? No. So he sends him back to Pilate because he doesn't want to get involved. Probably because it's like 4 a.m. You know? <laughs> this is not stuff that should be happening during Passover. So Jesus is sent back to Pilate. And by this point, Pilate has been plagued with dreams where it's possible that Jesus is in fact the son of God. And as a Roman, to grapple with the gods, not a good thing. So he's not keen to get involved. And he thinks, I'm gonna make this a trial of the people. You're all here, you're obviously agitated. I'm gonna give you a really obvious choice. You could free Jesus, who has done nothing, or you could free Barabbas, the known killer. Which one do you want to free today? Guys, but they choose Barabbas. They free Barabbas. And so 
Pilate washes his hands of the situation. He says, this guy's blood is not on my hands. This is over to you. And so the guards take Jesus and he is beaten. He is forced to carry a cross and he is crucified on Golgotha that day. It's a crazy 24 hours. And if you're in it, it's bleak. It's disappointing. It's the wrong thing to happen. This guy was supposed to be our savior and he's dead. If you're living in the moment, everything feels like it's all gone horribly wrong. But we live on the other side of that day. I don't wanna spoil next week for you, but this story gets really good. I'm just saying. I'd keep an eye on it if I were you. Now, there are so many things that we could take from this narrative, and, and I think that we take for granted the gravity of this day because we know the outcome. But actually, I believe there are lessons for each of us within the day before Jesus died that we need to pay almost as much attention to as we pay to the day after. So we're gonna take the last few minutes to look at a couple of people in this narrative and how they were impacted by this day. We're gonna start with Judas the conspirator. You can find the end of his story in Matthew 27, verse one to 10. After he had betrayed Jesus, he felt a deep sense of remorse. In fact, so much so that he went to the religious leaders that he had conspired with and said, I, I regret it, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been involved, I shouldn't have done this, take the money back, please, forgive me for this. And their response is complete dismissal. They say, this is blood money, we don't want your money back. And you deal with your guilt on your own in your own time. That has nothing to do with us. He has nowhere to go. He pays for this guilt with his life. I don't think that was the right answer. I wonder if he could have had the opportunity to go and to cry out to Jesus or to seek forgiveness, but he was so separated from God by that point that he could see no way out. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because how could you be so close to Jesus, but so bitter and holding such jealousy and unforgiveness and, and, and all of this stuff which becomes like a barrier so that physical proximity to the Son of God is not enough. And I feel like we've all been there. And if I think about that moment in Cornwall, there were things for me which had built up. And it wasn't even about Jesus. It was just little things that had slowly but surely disconnected us. And so I wonder if there's people in this room, people watching online who might feel like slowly but surely there's been an erosion between you and Jesus. And maybe there's a Judas mentality there in some way. But we do live on the other side of Jesus' death, which means we don't live in accordance with Judas's mentality. We have a mentality of freedom that we get to choose. Someone else that we need to look at is Peter the coward. Oh, Peter. Bless him. We love him so much. And if you know the whole picture of the New Testament, you know he becomes fundamental to the building of the church. We know Jesus because of Peter. And we can kind of put him on that pedestal as one of the real founders of the Christian faith, so much so that we forget that before he was that, he was the guy who denied Jesus three times. 
But what we learn from Peter is that that moment of failure did not take away from the calling that God had on his life. We are not limited by the mistakes that we make in our days. And there's this beautiful moment of compassion between Jesus and Peter later on where he is released from that sense of guilt and propelled into the future that God has for him. And I believe that it is in our failures when we experience the mercy of God that we are built in our strength. It's the thing that we actually can hold on to because we know, look, if I was like that and I'm still here, imagine what else God could do. We don't have to live in our cowardly moments where we didn't show up. Thank goodness Peter didn't because who knows what the church would be like if he had. And finally, we look at Pilate the Curious. Pilate washed his hands of this responsibility. Pilate did not wanna be involved in the death of Jesus, not because he felt it was boring, but because he had a revelation moment where he said, this isn't right. What you're saying about this man isn't true. And I wonder if as he walked away from that moment, turning his back on Jesus, letting Jesus go to the cross, not getting involved, I wonder if at the same time, the curiosity within him grew. Maybe he and his family thought, if that's the Son of God, then what have we been worshiping? If that guy is going to humble himself and be sacrificed and die innocently, maybe that's where we should be paying attention. It's Easter, there are definitely gonna be people here today watching online, here next weekend, who know about Jesus. Because it's England, everybody talks about God in some form or another. But perhaps you haven't had the opportunity to actually get to know him. Maybe you haven't had that moment where you've realized that Jesus is not just some good guy that did some good stuff. He's not some crazy person that thought he was a God, but maybe he is in fact the son of God. One day all of this happened. One day all of these lives were changed. You know, that moment in Cornwall for me, what it prepared me for was December 2019. Just before Christmas, my family and I lost Shockingly and tragically, my 27-year-old cousin, Sophie. Her death was unexpected and we were not prepared for it by any means. And then a week later, my dad had a cardiac arrest. And if it hadn't been for an insane number of miracles that happened to happen by the grace of God, he would not be alive with us today. But that time was an absolute life-changing moment for me. The world went from a place I thought I understood to the most confusing and horrendous thing in the snap of a finger. But when we talk about that moment as a family and we still grieve, grief is in my opinion something that sits with us in different phases and stages through all of our life. But when we talk about that moment, we also talk about this immense peace that we felt as a family that in all of the confusion and in all of the lack of understanding and in all of the pain, there was this grace and this peace, this closeness that we had with God. And I firmly believe that if I hadn't dealt with the things that were separating me from Him in Cornwall, I would not have been prepared. God knew what I needed. 
God knew that I had needed to reconnect with him intimately, that I needed to be prepared to rely on him because my strength was not gonna get me through December 2019. And I don't know what the moments are in your life that have changed them, but I do know that God has been with you in all of them. And so I'd like you to stand with me now in this moment. I wanna give you an opportunity to make the most of this day. I believe, I firmly believe as we were worshiping, I really felt like God was saying, I am starting something in here. As we sing all hail, God was moving in your hearts. And there is a work He wants to complete in you today. Or there's a work He wants to start in you today. And what you need to do in this moment is choose to engage with Him. So if you have relationship with Jesus, if you don't and you wanna participate in this moment, that's incredible. Um, I'd like, if possible, for our prayer team, for anybody who's here and and maybe um, Steve and a couple of other leaders who would like to come and pray, but maybe Elspeth, if you can, um, to come and be ready here as we sing this song. Because I wanna give you a moment to re-surrender, to reconnect with God. So if you're comfortable to lift your hands out, and if you'd like to, to come down for prayer, We're gonna give God an opportunity to minister into our hearts now. So Father, I pray for, for everybody in this room. I pray for the people online who are separating themselves from you now by bitterness or unforgiveness, God. I pray for the people who are dwelling on broken relationships here. I pray for the people who are living in disappointment over jobs, over studies, God. I pray for the people who are feeling lonely and isolated and feeling like that's some sort of punishment on their lives, Lord, we say no to that. God, we re-surrender our hearts to you. We do not live like Judas lived. We do not live like Peter lived, Lord God. Father, we are gonna take this moment now to hold out those things that have been separating us and to ask you to take it because our strength won't do it. We cannot shift these things on our own. If you would like to come down in this moment as we sing this song for prayer, please do. You are so welcome. If you are a visitor, if it's your first time and you wanna be anonymous in this moment, I encourage you to be bold. Let's take this moment together. Let's sing out to God. Let's re-surrender. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.